0: Welcome to the Kingdom Convos podcast. This is your host, Diane Wong, and I believe that the best story to share is your story. Featuring church and industry leaders, practitioners, and other guest speakers, our goal is to make conversation on God's kingdom through storytelling. I pray that these conversations would ripple out into your local communities, organizations, and beyond. Welcome back to season three of the Kingdom Convos podcast. We are talking about racism, diversity, and what the church has to do with it. And today I am so excited because I have two of some of the greatest people that I know, Yessie and Ian. I met them in college and we'll be talking about the church's role in social justice. And the reason why we're talking about this is because I've heard some people say that they don't really think... Um, they need to be concerned about social justice. It's not a responsibility of the believer. And today we're gonna be talking about it. So um, I believe that Ian and Yessi have a very unique perspective and they can bring a lot of special insights. So without further ado, Yessi and Ian, maybe Yessi, you can go first. How are you feeling in general with all of the social injustice that's taking place currently?
1: Yeah. um, It's good to be here. Uh, I'm honored that you would ask me to join your podcast with one of my best friends, Ian. Um, So it's going to be a fun time. We're looking forward to it. Um, I would say that it's currently, you know, it's, I I feel better. And what I mean by that is, I think um, this past, you know, I don't know what has, it's been three to four months What is time nowadays? I'm not sure. (laughs) But I feel like it's been a pretty overwhelming season in our household and for me personally, with everything going on in our world and particularly in regards to racism and social justice, and even just like the response of the church and Christians in general. And so I feel like I've gone kind of through a roller coaster of emotions, as I'm sure many people can relate. And so I feel like currently, I'm kind of in this space of really trying to be proactive about what my role looks like and exploring um, what my contribution is to bring to that conversation and even more so like to leadership on my church team and all those things. So I think I've kind of went through different um, what would you call it, stages, if you would, of just feeling really overwhelmed. There's been grief, there's been tears, there's been anger, there's been all of the emotions. And I think in this current time frame, I am feeling very focused and just um, reflective and also just taking inventory of, of how can I be proactive and stay engaged in this area in my life
2: yeah that was interesting. Um, Elmer Posi. I love it. Um ben, thank you again for having um me and, yeah, along with one of my bestest friends in the world. um, this is gonna be fun. I hope she's just gonna be a full time together. But um, to your question, how am I feeling about all the social justice taking place right now? i think I think it's an interesting thought um, because you know, sometimes I would sit here, read the news. And really just reflect. Like, I wonder if where we're at now, because the church hasn't done much, does that make sense? Like, if I wonder if the church has been doing more work towards social justice and reconciliation, that it would be a more gradual thing that we're kind of, yeah, like this is going to happen. Let's walk this out. I wonder if like racial justice, especially in this country, has just been so. And the church has been so far from that, that everything just kind of came to this point where everything just had to break. Does that make sense? Like I literally just, these these are just questions that like come to my mind. I wonder if we were there from the get-go work, um, doing the work of reconciliation and social justice, that it would be a more gradual problem. It would be more like, yeah, like we're growing, but the church is here and they're here to help us." How different it would look if that was the case. And honestly, like these are just some of the questions that I think about of like what the, like especially for me, like one of my biggest passion is the local church. I still wholeheartedly believe in the mission vision that this is God's plan A to reconcile us back to him. Um, and it, it makes, it, it does make me wonder, it's like, okay, like what are we doing as the church? Um, in this part of reconciliation knowing that that's literally one of Jesus' ministry when he when he came here on earth to reconcile those that are weak that are um, living in the outskirts to to reconcile those that have deemed um, outside of society back to himself you know like these are just my thoughts like honestly and we're going to talk more about it but that's kind of like how I feel is like I just wonder if the church came into this conversation earlier as we should have, where would we be today?
0: That's a really great thought, Ian. And on that note, if the church is God's plan A to bring reconciliation and justice to the world, then what do you guys see as your personal responsibility in social justice as a believer?
1: I'll, I'll go first again. <laughs> um, I think uh, for me personally, I feel like there's like a bare minimum and then there's like, you know, there's a bare minimum for all to be um, in, involved and engaged, right. And not indifferent or um, removed from. And I think Jesus is such a great example for us all of um, not the bare minimum. I wouldn't say he was the bare minimum, but at bare minimum how we are called to be moved by people's pain by people's experiences by people's um of all different walks of life you know and i love looking at the gospels to kind of reflect on what my personal responsibility uh is uh a level of compassion having a, a certain level of compassion and care for the other right so even putting it on a just very basic um responsibility sense, like at the most basic, like we're called to care and have compassion for the other's experience, regardless of what they look like, right? Jesus was never unmoved. And so I would say that um, that is first and foremost, like I'm called to not be unmoved, but actually deeply engaged with other people's pain, with other people's experiences and stuff like that. And then I feel like, beyond that there's this there's so much space and so much room to find like what our response our personal responsibility is and so i feel like that can look very different for many people depending on like your sphere of influence and you know where you work or where where you live or you know whatever is around you what your context is i feel like there's so much room to explore like what is a active role that I can take in this, and so um, I think for me it's it's learning what what's the basic you know responsibility that I'm called to, also, what does that look like in my home? You know, I'm a mom almost of two kids, you know we're about to have another kid in December, and so a uh, a lot of that reflection for me is like. What does that look like in my own home, right? Because that's my my first and my immediate sphere of influence is my children. Um, how I manage my relationship with my husband, and how that what what are we teaching? What are the values we're instilling? What are the conversations we're having? The books we're buying for our kids. Like there's there's just so many things that can be done in in the home. So for me, how I lead the conversation of of racism and social justice and compassion and all these topics um is at home it's a big it's a big part of my personal responsibility and so um and then beyond that I'm in a lot of leadership roles and so I always uh seek to look like what what am I called to or how can I bring this topic or this value to this Uh, Sphere that I'm in, so I uh, co lead youth ministry with my husband, and then I also just do like administrative work for our church. And we've been having a lot of conversations with our with our lead pastors, with our with our whole congregation. We it's a unique time, and it's funny because we are currently we just right before this all happened, like we moved to Washington, Battleground Washington, and we are now currently in a probably 99% Caucasian church. And so it's just such a unique time to be where we are planted and be like the only people of color and be having conversations with people whose views are like radically different than ours. And how do we bring it back to the basics of who Jesus calls us to be, you know? And so it's been a very interesting time, but I would say that my the way I view my responsibility is in those three spheres like what is like the basic thing I'm called to as a follower of Christ was my basic guideline in this area how do I do that in the home and then how do I do that in the places that I lead and how do I um, stay engaged uh, in this conversation and in this work
2: that's so good that's so good um I think I just want to kind of echo what Yesenia said in a, in a kind of a different way and kind of word it differently. Like, I'm a huge proponent, and I think all three of us in this podcast are a huge proponent of discipleship, right? And how um, we love we love to empower those around us in any way that we can. And I think that's the same model of how I'm going about this, of like, we can only change what we can change. Does that make sense? Like if I, I, like, I can't change something across the sea cause I can't, I'm not there. There's that like mentality of like my ministry is right here right now. And this is what I can do. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like what, what change can I do right now? That's going to be effective. And that's something that I'm passionate about and something that I can see before my very eyes. And I think one of those things that I've seen myself in this whole social justice movement conversation is, um, I I mean, I'm a DACA recipient, different actions for childhood arrivals. And we talked about that in our first podcast, Diane. Um, But that's like one thing that I can change. That's one thing that I can have a conversation about with people and say, hey, like, not all immigrants or at least illegal immigrants are the the way that you think we are like you and you know when I tell people like yeah I'm a recipient, they're like oh my gosh what like it's like they've never it's like they see me in a new light suddenly and it's just like yeah but let me show you a better way of living like you might be rubbing shoulders with people that are darker more than you think you are and that's my part in this I feel like this like in the um in the in the smaller sense of what i can do in my little sphere of influence that's what i can do right now and i'm going to leverage that as much as i can it's funny because even in this conversation um a lot of people i mean i live in colorado in highlands ranch colorado and uh, the same thing as this and yeah it's probably like 99.999 percent white right i love it um and even in Colorado, the suburban areas it's a lot of white people um, it's funny because when the whole Black Lives Matter um, movement started, they all came to me. It's like, hey, like, wondering if like you can speak into like, like how you're feeling about this whole Black Lives Matter and all these things. I'm just like, wait, I'm not black. You know, like my experience, as a, my experience as a colored person in the United States is so different from that of another black, of a black woman or man. Right. And it's like I, I like it's kind of weird because I'm like, I, I I don't know how they feel. <laughs> you know, like the most racist thing probably that you can say to a Filipino is the fact that my mom oh my gosh, is your mom a nurse? It's like Godum, like my mom is a nurse. It's like it's, it's it's just different. And I think that's something that I'm realizing that even though I'm not black, I still have a part to play in this. And I will speak up for what I know and stud- and be studying and learning the experiences of my black sisters and brothers. So I always tell them, like, you know what? Like I know this much. Um, I know to this to this extent. Like I've never been I've never been treated the way that blacks that black people were treated. But I've been treated in this way, in a way that's marginalized me and singled me out because I'm colored and this is how I felt, you know, like still sharing from my heart and my experience as a person of color here in the United States and as a Christian man, you know, so it's just like, it's just very different, very strange time, but again, I revert back to what I'm saying, I can only change what I can change, so that's kind of how I'm going about
0: Yeah, yes, I love what you said about compassion. And Ian, I love how you added on to that and using your personal experiences to extend that compassion to others. But rolling it back a little bit, um, I feel like we've made some pretty big statements that maybe all three of us agree with, but maybe not other people agree with. And that is that Jesus came to bring reconciliation, right? (laughs) And that might not be obvious to some people. So when you think about Reconciliation, all of those words. What scriptures do you go back to when you think of social justice and the church's role in it?
2: Um Yeah, interesting scripture. I mean, look at the Old Testament. You see how the Israelites should go about welcoming foreigners into their into their cities, into their communities, right? So and I mean You just see over and over again that um, that the Israelites must show kesed, loving kindness of God, no matter what to these foreigners. You welcome them in, right? Um, But more so, I look into like the life of Jesus. Like it's so funny. I'm gonna pull up the scripture in Matthew two. Um, I believe it's in yeah here, verse thirteen now when they had gone behold an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream and said get up take the child and his mother and flee to egypt and remain there until i tell you for herod is going to search for the child to destroy him so joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for egypt he remained there until the death of herod this was to fulfill what has what has been spoken by the lord through the prophet out of egypt i called my son." Like. We serve a God who um, who was kicked out, like who ran from his own country to another one. A refugee, I I said that word today, I don't know. Like, that's the kind of God that we serve. You know, like someone who's a foreigner in a land and growing there and learning their customs and serving God faithfully so that's like some of the scriptures that I kind of go back to and you know even like you look into like when um I'm looking for that scripture right now I've lost it come back to me yesenia take it away
1: yeah um so I feel like I love this question but I also like I feel like I feel like sometimes we get hung up on trying to find a scripture to like be like, okay, this supports that I should do this, or this mm. doesn't support that I should do that. And I feel like, so for me, I feel like there isn't just one scripture that I go to, to be honest. Mm. And it was funny because recently I started doing like a devotional series through Proverbs. And I was like, you know how you can read through something in the Bible so many times, and then you read through it another time. And and depending on what season in your life, certain things stick out to you more. And I was kind of mind blown because the word justice shows up so much in Proverbs. And I was like, you know, kind of like shocked by that a little bit. And I was like, just reading through it. And I was like, if you look at the whole scripture, I mean, justice in the Old Testament and how God is a God of justice. And even in the New Testament, um, through Jesus' story, like, there's no, there's really no place you can't find it. So that's the interesting part to me is that, um, but personally, when I'm reflecting on scripture and trying to think like, okay, what is, this is my guideline, okay, and how do I, uh, what does it say and how does it inform the way I, the way I approach this topic and really any topic in my life. And so I feel like the biggest part for me is always like the gospels. And again, going back to that word, I'm repeating myself, but I feel like the the thing I've had a hard time with is with people who, with comments or, or people who are just simply unmoved by what's currently going on. Like, oh, that doesn't involve me, doesn't affect me because A, I'm not a person of color or B, I'm not a racist. And all of a sudden we take ourselves out of the game. Like we take ourselves out of the equation of needing to be engaged or needing to do anything because if I'm not a racist, then this isn't something that I need to be worried about. And so I think that's why I use that word because when, when we look at the Gospels and reflect on the life of Jesus, like he was never unmoved. And if, if, if reconciliation was only meant to come later, then why would Jesus care? <laughs> right? Like he didn't, he didn't have to care then if, and I think that when people are like, well, when Jesus comes back, all will be like perfect and we won't have to worry about these things. And then they, they kind of use that as a pass to be engaged in something that is either uncomfortable or challenging or stretching, you know? And, and I'm like, if that's the case, then why would Jesus take the time to care while he was on earth? If, if that was Jesus's perspective, of like, oh, well, you know, I'm just here to fulfill my mission and, you know, walk the walk of going to the cross and being crucified, and I'm out, that's like the purpose I'm serving here, that he wouldn't care, that he wouldn't be moved, that he wouldn't take action. And so I'm like, if that's the approach I'm taking, it's incorrect, right? And so I think reflecting on the Gospels, again, gives us not, I, I feel weird saying like it gives us a bare minimum, but I feel like at the same time, it's like we try to get caught up on like all these things. And I'm like, at a very basic line, when we look at the life of Jesus, he was never unmoved. So, at a very basic line for my own life, when it comes to all these issues that are going on in our world, my goal is to not be unmoved right like if i'm gonna make it as basic as possible as simple as possible like i my goal is to not be unmoved because when i look at the life of jesus he was anything but unmoved by people's pains and experiences and people on the outskirts and he himself like ian said i think sometimes we forget like jesus was one of those people like right jesus often find yeah. found himself on the outskirts like jesus often found himself on the margins and like he was the one who was uh, criticized and ridiculed and all of these things like up until death right and so i don't know if we forget jesus's story and we see him through the portrayal of our own kind of privileged american view which i feel like i have found a lot But at a very basic line for when I look at the life of Jesus in scripture, I will not be unmoved by people's experiences.
2: That's good. Jesse, can you talk talk more about what you mean by unmoved?
1: Unmoved means like I don't do anything. Like I'm aware Mm. of something. So I don't know if a word is apathetic or, you know, I don't know what other word you want to use, but like at the very Baseline, like I am gonna feel I want I need to feel something about someone else's pain, and when I hear someone going through something, whether whether they support an organization I don't believe with, whether whatever, I think we just at the very baseline, like I'm gonna be moved by your pain and I'm gonna feel compassion for you. And I feel like once we even get to that place of like I will not let myself be unmoved, like that's where action comes from. When we feel compassion, true compassion, I really, truly believe leads to action. Whether that's a simple conversation, like Ian said, I love what you were saying about like, what can I do right now? And sometimes it's in a conversation and it's, uh, correcting something that someone said or asking more about like oh like let's talk about that like why do you think that like it can be something as minimal as engaging in a conversation with one other individual I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with thinking that we have to like in order to be moved and in action in a certain area we have to like Hmm. I don't know write a book on racial reconciliation you know like we set the bar so high but what for what it means to be uh, active in this topic and I feel like it doesn't have to be that but at the bare minimum like we can't be just unmoved and not even engaging in the conversation and, and just giving ourselves an out of like I'm waiting on Jesus to come back so I'm chilling till he's here kind of thing you know
2: you guys we can stop talking right now honestly like i've known yesenia for like five years now we've gone through so much crap together and like hearing her say this is just fire and honestly we can just stop here but we're gonna keep going because i know jesus is doing something but to that point yes i think it's really interesting thing like because like from what i'm hearing you say and what i'm gleaning from you right now is the fact that jesus always lived in the present and saw the need and met it he sees the need and meets it he sees the need he meets it and in that in that parable of like who's your neighbor when the Samaritan was beaten down and the, and the Levi and a priest and then a the Samaritan came and like that idea that like your neighbor are those around you you know and like I guess that's like it's kind of cool because I guess in this topic of racial reconciliation, ask yourself, who are your neighbors, right? And If your neighbors are all white, just ask yourself, is that okay? Honestly, go on a journey to figure out if all my neighbors are white, is that okay? And if your neighbors are not all white, what do you do? What can you do to stand up and to stand between the gap where there is a gap? What can you do? in your own context if you're a white person what can you do to to be an advocate for your colored brothers and sisters and if you're a brown person or person of color such as myself what can i do to maybe help my white sisters and brothers just recognize something new and different that day you know like jesus saw a need and met it if there's anything consistent in the scripture it's that and and there's just a lot of examples over and over again that he did that, you know, to people who, to, to whether, may they be Jews or not Jewish. And I mean, we can go into a whole theological discourse and examples and keep listing them. They'll never end up, it will never end. But there's just, there's just that idea that like, who are your neighbors? Because Jesus met the needs of those around him always.
0: Yeah, and to simplify even more, the most consistent thing I see throughout the Bible is loving your neighbor, right? You're talking about who is your neighbor, but the more simplified thing even beyond that is we're called to love our neighbor, and a lot of reconciliation is exactly that. And so what role do you guys see the church as an organization um, playing in social justice?
2: What do you think, Jesse? (laughs) Let's talk.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like it really I feel like it really depends. I think, you know, we're talking about church with the big C. Um, I think again, I think the way I approach it in my personal life is a similar way of how I view the church's role. Like there's a there's a bare minimum line of how we can be engaged in the topic. And then from beyond that, it's like what resources that church has and how are they using them right because we have all kinds of churches all kinds of sizes all kinds of different budgets etc and so I feel like to an extent um, that kind of changes like what can a church actively do um, if we're talking about specific churches but in general I feel like being engaged in the conversation is like a bare minimum for me like are we having these conversations not just from the pulpit I don't feel like everything needs to be on a Sunday morning right like that's such a small such a small um, portion of what a church is supposed to be so if we're only judging a church and their involvement in this area or this topic by the messages they preach on Sunday I feel like that's a disservice to what the church is supposed to look like or be. And so I feel like I'm always curious as to like, what does um, the conversations with our leaders look like? What does training with our leaders look like? What does um, the use of our resources look like and where are those going? And so I feel like, again, it's, it's a lot of looking at um, what your, what the church is, currently doing and like how can we be more actively engaged in this topic in this area and talking about context right that's something we've mentioned so much like i really do think that the context of the church the demographics of the church all these things really do shape like the involvement of what it looks like for each specific body and so i feel like i think about our church for example again like predominant it's a small church like 100, 200 people. Right now it's COVID. So, you know, numbers are kind of not a thing, but um, predominantly Caucasian. And, And sometimes I feel like there's a heavier weight that like we need to be having this conversation because if we don't, then it's not happening organically. Because when you look around the context, there aren't people who, it's not diverse, right? Like it's like us. So it's not gonna happen as organically as it would if you have a more diverse church where people are like talking about that because it's their lived experience. So sometimes when we sit with our pa- our senior pastors or even with our leadership team, which we we are like the only people of color and also the youngest. So demographically, like we're definitely the minority in a lot of ways in our current church. And so I feel like a lot of times that looks like having that conversation and engaging in that conversation we had a leadership meeting a few weeks ago like casting vision like bringing that up as a topic like how what what does this area look like for us and how are we how are we seeing our role in this topic and in this area in this next season because if we don't bring it up no one else does right and so that's to kind of wrap it up I feel like there's, there's just tears to, to involvement. And I feel like, uh, for churches, I feel like at this time, it's like taking an honest look at where, where, where we are in this topic and how we're, how we are being active or not in this area. I think that's the first and foremost step that the church needs to take. It's just an honest reflection on where they, where we are. And Beyond that, it's like, what is our goal in this area, and what do we see as our role, and how can we begin to take steps towards that? Some people are starting at zero, and some people are starting somewhere, you know. And I love what Ian said earlier, too, about like the question he's been thinking about like, would this look different if the church, Big C, had been more actively engaged in this topic and in this area? That when it it didn't have to hit like a rock bottom point, like an explosion point, because we've always kind of been in this work. And so then we just continuing the work rather than starting the work, you know? And so I think his point is very valid. And it comes into play with this question of like, what is the involvement? What should the involvement of the church be? And I feel like a, an honest reflection of where we are and where we have been. And historically, if we're talking about big C Mm -hmm. church, like we haven't been at the right side of this topic for a very long time, right? If we're talking historically. And so I think just recognizing that it's not, again, I'm with Ian and I I share that same um, passion and heart for the local church and its mission in this world. And so I feel like having that honest reflection of historically, like we haven't done enough in this area. Historically, like we've been the oppressor, like historically, like, you know, and just having a very honest reflection. And then we need to move beyond that and, and really um, change the way we've been doing church. And as you can see amongst many people, like there's so much deconstruction of faith going on right now because of where we are. Because people are like, this isn't where we should be. This isn't what the call of the church is. And to me, honestly, some people kind of panic, like, oh my gosh, so many people are leaving the church. So many people are leaving this. And it's like, to me, it honestly makes me excited for the future of the church because people no longer just want to do church for the sake of doing church. People really do generally want to get back to like, what is the church supposed to look like? And, and how does that reflect the narrative of who? Jesus's heart and his heart for reconciliation and for people and people are so uninterested in just continuing to do church as it was. So I think all those things kind of go into like what is the involvement of the church and it's like you either rise up and begin wherever you are, have an honest mm-hmm. have an honest reflection and realize where you are and where you need to go and start doing the work to get there or, you know, or you don't, and and the result of that, obviously, we've seen is, of course, people leaving. But beyond that, beyond numbers, it's like people's faith is being deconstructed. And so, I think I've said enough. So back to you, Ian.
2: No, that was good. That was good. Gosh, it's such a yes, yesy thing to do. To like, no, this is what we should do right away. Like, uh, call to action, guys. Yesy is just insanely good at that. But, um again i'm not i'm not black right so it's kind of weird that like i'm speaking into this but you know in my study of like wanting to be able to speak into this and to fight for what i know what i know is right you know, i did my study for a while back and i read this quote by yolanda pierce um she's the dean of um, the divinity school and howard university and she writes this um, christianity was pro-slavery so much of early american christian identity it's pre—it's predicated on a pro-slavery theology, from the naming of the slave ships to um to those who sponsored some of these journeys, including some churches, to the fact that so much of early American religious rhetoric is deeply intertwined with slaveholding. It is pro- it is pro-slavery. I mean, you have to think about that. The church here in the United States, we this is what we're founded at, going into this nation. That we trafficked, like human, like human beings from Africa, to, um, to the United States and made them slaves. Like literally, like I, I was I'm reading a book by Howard Thurman. He's um, he's a black a theologian and pastor, um, during the Civil Civil War, and he writes like. Um, he talks about his mom telling him, "I I want you to read the Bible to me, but." don 't read anything I absolutely do not want you to read anything from any of Paul's letters and thurman like was wondering' like okay like why is that and as he read through the on um, the scriptures that um Paul wrote he you know he comes up to like Ephesians six where it talks about like servants like be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing good service, as to the Lord, not to men. Because he realized that her that his mom, you know, back when they had churches, they would have white churches and black churches. And um and when they would have black churches, that scripture would be used to say, you guys need to be good slaves to your master. And that was that was one of the scriptures that they use to justify slavery if there's anything that the big cheat church should be doing right now it's mourning that realizing that stepping into the burden that that comes about us because of that history and saying so what and now what like we have a huge history in this and we can't just we can't just shove that in the side and say, let's keep going. Are you kidding me? No, we need to come face to face with us. And as a church, repent from that sin and literally ask the Holy Spirit, show us how we need to pray about this. Show us what we need to do. Cause it's clearly like, you guys, when I when I figured out that this was the history of the church in the United States, I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Why haven't I heard about this?
0: Now getting a little bit more personal, I did say in the beginning that Ian and Yessi have a unique perspective that they're coming from. And Ian, this is where I really feel like you can share a lot more, but um Yessi and Ian are both DACA recipients. And I feel like you guys have a lot of personal experience and stories to share about how the church has shown up for you and how the church hasn't. So I did want both of you to just talk about that a little bit more from a first person perspective, because I feel like um, when we're talking about injustices and when we're talking about things like this, some people kind of dehumanize it and I really want both of you to talk from a personal standpoint. So maybe Ian can go first. How has the church shown up for you as a DACA recipient and what could have gone better? What could we have done more?
2: I think, I think the experience I've had, and I think both Yesenia and I actually experienced this, was when the current administration rescinded DACA in 2018, um we both went to same college and honestly to see how our university rose up and say we're going to take care of you guys i mean yes you definitely speak into this if you have any ideas but i certainly felt like wow like i remember president jim Jim j adams he said like we're going to have a meeting with the daca students and i want to see how we can best support them like oh my gosh hear from the people that are hurting you know, like I think if there's anything that I can lead to the church, like seek out those that are hurting, hear from them, learn from them. Um, and that was just one of the experiences, like, wow, like this is this is awesome. Like I've never felt so part of a community that supports me in a way that my into my college did. Um and I love that. And that was I thought that was just a start to that conversation of how can we better caretakers of those that are here and now, you know. On the other side of this, um, in one of my in a company that I worked for, that was very predominantly white. Um, we I had a company party celebrating one of the other departments um, hitting a new goal, and so they invited all of the staff, and they just we just had um, ice cream cake celebrating the milestone, and there were about sixty of us there. Um, I was looking around and it was me and another woman, Um, she was black and it was just us two in this entire room eating um, ice cream cake that are people of color. And I just wonder, was there anyone else in that room thinking this doesn't look right? like that uh there's a lot of white into people of color okay like you know like i looked at her and we and she looked at me and we had like this like just like look with one another it's like hey <laughs> kind of like you good kind of kind of look um and i think i honestly think if you're and this was the christian organization that i worked for I swear, like, if you are carrying the banner of Christ and truly and wholeheartedly and truthfully wanting to carry that and represent his grace and his truth and his goodness um, in our world, seek out those that are in the margins. Because that's exactly what Jesus did and this isn't like some sob story that i'm saying, "oh, i wish someone came up to me and asked how i felt during that time." No, i'm just what i'm saying and this is just how i am. It's like, no, like make a space where people don't even have to question that. You know, design a space where people know that they feel loved and belong to 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 a place because because Jesus is present there. So I don't know, like those are just some experiences that I've had and Yassi, you, I'm sure you've had your fair share of experiences.
1: I mean, that's definitely an understatement, but (laughs) um, I'm trying to think um, to answer your question uh, specifically about from a DACA recipient perspective and how I have seen kind of the church respond um, or support me and I'm kind of I'm my thoughts kind of take me to uh, the church being God's people right and so I I was just thinking a little bit about what Ian said and even when I first was thinking about the question for myself it's like I feel like it's been interesting because to me it's really when DACA was like the big headline of being rescinded and stuff, it it was almost like it all of a sudden became a conversation, right? And I feel like similarly with Black Lives Matter, like the, the movement's been around, it's, it's 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 kind of been on on the highlight at different points, but it felt in some ways, like all of a sudden, this is a big thing. All of a sudden, this is a big conversation we're having and we're talking about. And that was interesting to me because it was like, you know, all of a sudden, everyone engaged in a conversation or, you know, whatever has thoughts about it. But sometimes I think we forget, like, the people who are living those experiences that it, it didn't just start happening, right? So, DACA didn't just become a thing to me that day because it was on the headlines and everyone was talking about it and all of a sudden aware, like, right, that I had been, my experience growing up as an undocumented immigrant started when I was six years old here. Right. And so the reason why I bring that up is because I feel like part of me is like when we we as a church or as God's people. Right. Because we are the church. So let's let's take it out of even the context of a church building or a church organization or whatever you want to call it. Um, When we as God's people wait until something becomes a headline to be engaged, sometimes we are a little too late. You know, and so I'm. I'm not saying that you know to be like you can never like you entered the conversation too late. But what I'm saying is like, have we been missing opportunities? And the reason why I say that is because honestly, I think Ian and I were at different points. At that point, I was almost graduating. I, I had already basically graduated at tw- at 2018. I had graduated, but when DACA became a big thing, it was like the year I was graduating. And so for me, like really the championing and the supporting and all of those things that i needed all all those years were coming to an end and they weren't fulfilled by the university itself but they were fulfilled by the people who are who 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 like ian said like took the time to notice people in the margins who took the time to know my story and to create a safe space for me to even share my story because for for us to even begin to hear people's stories, like there has to be a safe space created, right? And so I think that's a big thing because for so long in my life, I was never really, you don't grow up just telling people you're undocumented, like, you know? And so I never just openly shared my story. And Kristen Zimmerman was actually like the first white woman that I ever shared my story with about being undocumented. And it was because she created a space where I felt like, no matter what came out of my mouth or no matter what I was going to share, like, it was a safe space for me to share my story. So that was a big moment for me to share my story with a female who, from my perspective, could not possibly understand or comprehend my story or my pain or et cetera, right? Like, that's, that's a narrative I had in my mind was, like, it's not safe for me to share, especially not with someone who's white. Right, and so that was like the first big step for me personally in my journey to realize that although Kristen could not possibly understand my story to a t, that as a human, our, she could understand pain, and she could understand feeling isolated, and she could right, and so she, she actually, you know, wanted me to share my story with like our leadership team, which was not very diverse at that time when I first became an RA. And so I was like, I could never share in front of these people, right? I put myself in that in that position of like, they could never possibly understand. And why would I want to share with them, right? It was really scary to me. And she was like, you know, they, they won't be able to understand exactly what you've walked through, but they can understand your pain. And that was a really big moment in my life because that began my healing journey in realizing all the trauma that had come with growing up undocumented, all the things people had said, all the different like you know that I had never really taken the time to process and unpack and and really begin my healing journey because I was never able to talk about it. Like if I I I could never. I just I was really emotional when like even in government class in high school. I remember whenever we talked about immigration, I said nothing because I was so emotionally blocked by my experience that I was like if I say anything gonna burst into tears, right? And so first for me it took going through the healing journey of of my own story and my own trauma and my own pain. But then I think to bring it back to your question, it was, you know, people like Kristen and AJ Zimmerman and other people in my life at that time who knew my story, who made it safe for me to share my story, and then who chose not to be unmoved, but but actually actively engage in how do we how do we support Yessie and how do we make opportunities for her that maybe wouldn't be available i remember aj sharing a story with me that was like super impactful because he was you know they were on on various committees right they they got to sit in various committees mm-hmm. they got they had in their sphere of influence that i wasn't a part of obviously and he shared with me you know he was on one of the scholarship committees and and As they were, you know, considering like who are recipients for this scholarship, all of these different things, he brought up like, hey, do do we know who our DACA students are? And are we seeing how we can help them get scholarships that, that they wouldn't be able to get because they don't get federal grants? And that meant so much to me because I wasn't in the room. He wasn't on a platform, but he took the time in his own sphere. of I would have never known if he would have spoken up for me or not in that room, right? But he mm-hmm. chose when no one, there was no one in there who was DACA. Like I wasn't in the room. So how could I speak up for DACA or brands, But someone who knew me and knew my story and chose not to be unmoved by my story, but rather thought of me in that moment brought that up right and it wasn't like let's give it to yesi it was like daca recipients who are they and are we considering what options we have to give them scholarships and that meant so much to me because i feel like that's exactly what i would say is like how i've seen the church response be, response um because aj it wasn't like it doesn't matter what church he's affiliated with like he is he considers himself a man of God, right? He considers himself a follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so he chose to respond and actively make an opportunity where there wasn't one for me being thought of, right? And so I think that's the best picture that I can think of of how I have seen the church respond. And like I said, like the church outside of the building, like, and that's what we're called to be. It goes back to, like, we're called to be the church. We're God's people. And so that's the best example I can think of of when we're, we're trying to think, like, gauge. It's like, use what's in front of you right in that moment. Use your sphere of influence to, to speak up for, to make a way for people on the margins that otherwise wouldn't have a voice in that room. Like, what room are you in and who can you be speaking up for? That's
2: so good, Yessi. Gosh, yeah, the, the guys Zimmerman's pillars in our lives, pillars to Yessie and I's life. But for a really quick tangent. Yessie, do you remember the day that we talked about that we were both DACA? Yes. Do you remember that day where I, no one else, I knew no one else that was DACA?
1: Yeah, we were like felt like the only two people who were like, "Yay, there's another one."
2: <laughs> I know. And there was that like that realization. It's like, oh my gosh, someone else knows what I'm going through. Yeah, yeah. It's just like that thought, like you know, Jesus being and for those that are hardcore theologians, like go ahead and like tear me apart in this. But there's something when when someone else in your life knows, just like how yes, you just like how you knew, right? Like you know, you knew exactly how I felt Mm -hmm. to a T, right? And we have a perfect intercessor for us who knows exactly how we feel. Like when someone else comes along beside you, just like you said, like AJ did, and that would advocate for you. It's like, literally that's as close that I'm seeing, I'm seeing like Jesus in my life. As much as I've seen AJ's face in that, I've seen Christ. You know? And as the church, how else can we do that? God? AJ and Kristen better be listening to this
1: (laughs) yeah and that's bottom line right like sorry to keep this going but that's like bottom line like at the end of the day like what do we want to be known for as the church right and I think we lose so much time and energy and effort in figuring out like well like where does it say that we should do this or where does it not say that we should do this and it's like we lose so much time like if you're if if you're looking for scripture or a backing to just show compassion to your neighbor like you've already missed it like you know like jesus didn't say oh let me check in with uh, like god and see like you know let me check real quick if this fits my agenda or if this fits my political views or if this fits like everything he did actually was the opposite like he he really rupture the social norms the cultural norms like so if you're looking for like a way to be like oh no like well does this support like the values or like the whatever like we just I feel like we just lose so much time on things that don't truly matter and if like bottom line like I'm known to be someone who shows compassion to my neighbor like I'm good with that like you know like I I just, anyway, I'm going to go on a tangent. So back to you, Diane. No, I love all of
0: it. And from what I'm hearing is that the church has not prioritized reconciliation and justice. And so these spaces have not been made for people to um, heal, to talk about it. And honestly, yeah, shout out to AJ and Kristen for making spaces like that in the unseen behind closed doors because they're not doing it for attention. They're not doing it um, to, I don't know, gain more credibility from anyone, but they're doing it because they care. And that is so important. And I think that the church has steered away from reconciliation and justice, largely because it's political, right? So let's talk about that. How involved should the church get in politics?
2: I think there's something to it where one, anyone needs to literally look at a mirror and ask who are you right like honestly like who are you are you are you one that's going to take a political side before those that are literally hurting in your church who are you like are you more of a republican or a democrat or an independent than you are as a disciple of christ i think we all as christians need to boil down everything that we've made christianity to be right boil it down all to to what the crux is and literally only live out of that and that is being a daughter or a son of the god most high and then working from that with whatever conviction you might find yourself in, right? You always have to bring it back to that because then it's more about God's business than your business. Because then in that perspective, you're thinking more kingdom-minded than self-minded. You know, and honestly, i'm not suggesting any political party that you guys should be a part of i'm just questioning and challenging you which citizen are you of this here united states or the kingdom of god because i will tell you now one is going to decimate the other and we need to be picking the right one that's all i'm going to say
1: Mic drop right there. I agree. I feel like we recently, you know, we've been, I get, like I said, we've been having a lot of conversations at our church. Some of them go better than others, as you can imagine. You know, we've heard all kinds of different perspectives from our leadership team because to be expected, it's not like anything really shocked us. And so I feel like I always have that same heart that Ian said. Like, bottom line, how do we bring it back to being followers of Christ. So I feel like we we are living in this world and politics is a part of this world. So it's not like I'm saying, oh my gosh, politics are the devil and we're not gonna engage in the conversation of politics at all or anything that's controversial, let's like not engage in it and like let's just I don't know. You know, like that's not what I'm saying. And so I feel like politics aren't bad. I feel like the bottom line for me when it comes to Anything, not just politics, like Ian said, like anything in my life that naturally I'm going to be engaged in, right? Naturally, I'm going to have an allegiance to because I live in this earth, in this world, at present time. Um, I I can I can make a choice, but bottom line, like, is my allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom of God higher than my allegiance to the government higher than my allegiance to whatever other things i may have an allegiance to on this earth i think for me the issue becomes problematic when like ian said like we worship the president of the united states or we worship you know whatever other thing in our lives and that becomes higher in our lives than than jesus and all of a sudden we're all for this person or let's even neutralize it a sports team or whatever we're super hype about or super like, this is my team and I will go hard all day. Right. Like, great. But at the end of the day, if you have to choose, you know, between that thing or Jesus, like, are you making the right choice? Right. Are you putting something in your life higher? And I feel like when we look at our political candidates, like, yes, there's, there's not going to be a perfect, they're human. Right. Obviously. So there's not going to be a perfect candidate that we can choose that meets all the boxes on what we would like to see at at the seat of the president, right? That's just obviously. But am I coming back to Jesus and am I discerning in this process and am I still holding Jesus on the throne? Right? Or or have I put this person now on the throne where Jesus belongs? Like I can vote for whoever I vote for, but do I do I worship and blindly follow someone or do i or do i still hold jesus as the king of my life right and i think that's bottom line i i can have conversations with people who support either candidate and not feel like oh well i can't believe you support them but it's like if you're not having any issues with some of the things that our president or other candidates are saying then I then that's when it starts to become kind of a red flag. Like, are we blindly following someone? And, and is that our allegiance to that person or that um, government, whatever it is, like, is that becoming higher than our allegiance to the kingdom of God and seeing that come about on this earth?
2: Right. You should have just seen how much I'm biting my tongue from <laughs> just saying anything crazy. But hear us out here we're not what here's what we're not saying we're not saying that you should just flip off the government it's like no it's absolutely not i think there is space for us as christians to be a part of the public space i think no hear me out and i think this is where we're coming from and correct me if i'm wrong Yessi, but we're saying involve god in this involve the holy spirit in the way that you talk about and think about politics because honestly and this is just a question that i'll pose out there and i know i won't get any answers but when was the last time that you've done that where holy spirit this is how i'm feeling about politics what do you think you know because honestly he cares he cares And just invite him in that conversation because he has things to say, I think. Especially as people who carry the banner of Christ, he has things to say. That's all I'm saying. And I'm done, I promise.
1: I'll add one more thing. Because I feel like what Ian said is so key because it's like, I can respect that. Like, if you share with me, like, this has been my process in, in making my choice of you know political party or whatever and this is kind of what i feel and this is what i've discerned and like i know this person isn't perfect but here's like my convictions and here like i can respect that like at the end of the day like trying to make it like you know well if you're christian you're you're voting for this person but if you vote for this person you're not christian we've all of a sudden put our christianity like on the sea of like what what candidate we choose and I think for me it's more about that process that Ian says. like I can respect that someone else's decisions are going to be different than mine when it comes to certain things but if I know their heart and their processing is back to like how can I in my own convictions in my time with God, like, make this decision, right? And at the end of the day, if we choose something different, like, I can still respect who you are as a Christ follower in the way that you have presented and arrived at that decision. But I think what I have a hard time with is the blatant disregard of, like, well, not disregard, but even, like, how we try to make different boxes of our lives like these are my politics and they sit in this box and this is how I handle this topic of immigration let's say and that sits on that box and we try to like come in and out of those boxes and then it's like oh and this is who I am in the church on Sundays that's what I have a hard time with because it's like if we're not going through that process that Ian said when it comes to every decision of our lives we're cream we're creating a life that's not Whole, that's not holistic. Like, we're trying to live like different lives and acting like our Christian life and our walk with Christ is like one aspect of our lives rather than the center of our lives and how we do everything else in our lives. You know what I mean? So, I think that's where I have a hard time with when people are like, Well, my politics are private, or my politics and my political choices are like my own and like no one gets to say anything about that. It's like, yeah, maybe I don't get to say anything about that, but are you letting Jesus say something about that? Right? So when we try to shut off certain Mm -hmm. um, pieces of our life and areas of our life off access to other people is one thing, but then it's like, okay, if they're off access, are they off access to the Lord as well? That's what I have a hard time with when it comes to politics. So good. Yes, yes, I uh,
0: completely agree with everything that you guys have said, and to say what you guys have already said from a church leadership standpoint, I think that you can speak into politics without getting directly involved, if that makes sense. And honestly, the church, our responsibility is to just preach the gospel, and the gospel will speak for itself, the gospel will speak into politics, but the point is you have to go back to it, right? Right. So yeah, I love it. I love what you guys have said and this has been a really long episode. So are there any closing comments, remarks, things you guys want to say about this topic before we wrap it up?
2: I think I'm good. I think I have one. I think (laughs) just one, you know, just Just, one, just one, just one. Um, genuinely and wholeheartedly take the time to walk in someone else's shoes. Like, and be meaningful about it. Like, I don't know how that looks for you. I don't know what space that that is in your life. But honestly, like, and I wholeheartedly believe this. Like, if you ask Jesus, if you ask God, to say, give me more compassion towards x y and z he will and i think we need to be reminded of that to just walk someone else's shoes because that is the only way that we can effectively advocate for others the like that's the only reason i find so much comfort in the fact that we have a perfect priest that's going to stand that it's going to advocate for us um, in the throne of god because i know exactly because i know that he knows exactly how i feel Let's be that for someone else, right? And for those that have truly and wholeheartedly experienced God's grace, so can we give that out? You know, I can't give out, I can't give you guys $100 if I don't have $100. But if I have $100, I can certainly give it out. Same way that I've experienced God's grace in its totality, and it's still coming, and it still keeps coming, you know, as the kingdom of God comes into fruition, so can I also extend that same grace to someone else? But I can't do that if I don't know how they're feeling, you know, it's like, it's just a weird thing. But I think, and I'm still learning how to do this for those around me. And it's hard, but it goes back, you know, I still believe this season the Lord's called me to just focus on on the now, that my ministry is the present. What can you do then? You know, so that's, I don't know. That's for someone, that's someone in, that's for someone in this room. So someone.
1: Now I'm going to add something too, just to back off Ian, super quick. To one-up man,
2: to one-up me, huh? No,
1: not to one-up you, to extend extend what you said. Um, But I think it's key. And I would say like, be in the process because I think what Ian said was super key about learning, right? Like, this is an ongoing process. There isn't an arrival point where we're like, I've arrived, I know everything there is to know about being a Christ follower or being in racial reconciliation and the work of that, or there isn't an arrival point. And so I think that's my encouragement to people listening to this. It's like, it's okay to have an honest reflection with where you are and not to like shame or condemn yourself because you haven't been doing enough or whatever, but to be like, okay, this is where I'm at, but like, I'm in this, like make that commitment to be in the process and to learn. Right. And I love how practical Ian's first step was like, you know, take the time to know someone else's story. It's like such a basic first step. And so my encouragement is just that, like be in the process and commit to being in the process.
0: Yeah, make it a priority, people. I know that we've been talking about social justice, but social justice is about people and God cares about people. So you should too. So that was the church's role in social justice with Yessie Hamilton and Ian Atendido. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Kingdom Convos. If you liked our conversation, don't forget to subscribe for similar episodes. You can connect with me by following my social media, and you can find that in the details. Remember that your story is the best story to tell, and use every opportunity today to share yours. Thanks for listening.